Welcome to Transformations, the HR management podcast by Cardata. I'm your host, Lindsay Claiborne, and together with our guests, we'll uncover and share stories from real HR professionals and dive into how they succeeded and sometimes failed in leading their people and organizations toward new ways of working. The role of HR has drastically changed. In today's world, HR is no longer just an administrative function. It is a key business driver. HR leaders are standing at the forefront of their organizations, navigating new challenges, and leading major shifts in everything from recruitment, total rewards, engagement, retention, leadership, and more. In order to stay ahead of what works for their businesses, HR leaders are tapping into new ways of thinking and leading. I can't wait to share our dynamic and in-depth conversations with you. Remember, change is inevitable. Transformation is influential. All righty. So we are joined here today uh, by Gabe Horwitz from Equitable. Gabe, I'm so excited to have you on Transformations, the HR podcast by Cardata. I would love if you could start by telling us a little bit about your company, Equitable, specifically what inspired you to start Equitable. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. So Equitable, our goal is to essentially simplify the back office uh, data analytics that we typically have in organizations where we have a bunch of disparate data sources that don't really talk to each other, can't really uh, derive insights or make data-driven, deci- de- data-driven decisions from our HRIS, our ATS, and the various other tools that, that we have. And so our goal is to essentially simplify that so you can have a no-code story editor and make those decisions with the data, with an accurate single source of truth so that we can be better at our jobs, essentially, and we can be better employers and improve the employee experience overall. And what inspired us to actually do this, uh, one of my co-founders, when we were at WeWork and we built the people analytics team at WeWork and we grew the company from 3,000 to 15,000 employees and then Unfortunately, it went back down to 3,000 employees in what's a pretty public sort of catastrophic event. We saw all the systems that everyone was using and we saw all the data or lack of data that was being used to make some decisions. And the fact that those two ecosystems couldn't talk and the people that were actually doing the jobs, right? People partners, talent acquisition partners, recruiters, they didn't have the appropriate data to actually make the decisions. And so they ended up having to go into the HRIS, go into the ATS to actually make decisions. And and we know those are, are pretty clunky, one-size-fits-all dashboards. So we saw this over and over again. And the outcome is essentially inequities, right? The outcome is essentially people who don't speak up for themselves, they end up getting thrown under the, the bus. They end up getting forgotten in promotion cycles and recruiting and everything. And so, which is why the name is Equitable. We essentially said, if you can tell a data story, you can make data-driven decisions. You can actually be a more equitable, more fair organization. And we can get... You know, happy to go more into that, but that's that's essentially the impetus of why we created this company. That's amazing. And it one of my questions was going to be, what are the challenges or what are the issues that arise when you have such disparate systems? It sounds what you just said. One of them is that we don't have fair or equitable decision making processes. Is there anything else that you see as a major challenge or a major issue when? Our HR and people data systems aren't being connected or they're not connected with other data sources within the organization? Yeah, it's actually a massive productivity suck, right? So if you think about the general HR and you're a head of HR, right? So you would know that like if you're asking typically like 
let's say you're in a smaller organization, you're probably pulling it yourself. But let's say you are in a bigger organization and you're the CHRO, you're asking like a, basically a team of people to pull an Excel file from this source, from your HRIS, pull an Excel file from your ATS, pull something from your performance management, your, cult, your culture platform, uh, and then create this massive mapping. And by the time they get you the data, two, three, four weeks later, the data is out of date, mm -hmm. right? So it's not only a massive productivity suck on the team because those smart people can be doing better things with their time, actually implementing changes and actually doing stuff for the organization rather than creating pie charts, divert cut by, you know, headcount cut by diversity. Like that's not engaging work for HR. And I think we're as HR people, where we sort of kind of like pinned ourselves because we rely on these systems and this lack of organization where like we end up having like again this productivity lapse and that kind of creates a loop where people then have the stigma about hr that we're not productive we're not smart we're not you know whatever it is like the stigmas that you know come with hr we're back office we're out of cost center whatever it yeah is. and that's not fair because I think the tools that we've been given and it hasn't taken over where we have the tools that we need to actually do our jobs effectively. And so I think like that's the massive, you talk about making data-driven decisions, great. Like make data-driven decisions. But one of the massive things that we provide to companies is we just make HR people level up. Like we mm. basically level up their roles and level up their actual experience so that now they have cool tools, not just marketing and sales, right? So that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. And it's such an important time to do that because HR leaders at or HR practitioners in general, but especially HR leaders are being called to be, have their seat at the table, to take that seat at the table, but to also be able to talk in the language of in the language of the business, right. um, which is data, which is numbers. So but to be able to put that expectation on and drive or ask of leaders to be at that table, but then not give them the tools to be equipped to right. follow through on that responsibility isn't really setting them up for success. And here's the thing is like we put HR people at the table or rather HR people have gotten a seat, right? You have a chief people officer. The fact that we changed the title from chief human re resources officers to chief people officer just essentially means that like there was a nice rebranding that essentially gave us a seat at the table again. And now that we're there, I think in certain situations, we're blowing our shot. And in certain situations, we're still only presenting the interesting surface level, interesting data, like headcount, attrition, and whatnot. And the biggest innovation we have when we present something is we have a dashboard that finally tells all the data. I just think that that can't be the bar that we set for each other, our, ourselves anymore. We have to see at the table. Let's make the most of our opportunity. Let's be as productive as possible. Let's be accepting the new technologies. Let's not sort of sit back and say like, well, the HRIS... And the ETS, like they kind of do just enough. No, that shouldn't be the standard anymore. Like we should be elevating and accepting the new platforms and the new automation. And we could talk about it later, but the AI and all these other pieces of our puzzle and not be scared mm -hmm. of like what it might do. Because if we accept it and we control it and we enable it, that's going to make us that much more successful is my opinion. Yeah, I would definitely share a lot of same opinion. But this also reminds me of you posted a funny meme on your LinkedIn a few months back, which showed two pictures side by side. And it was the same guy in both. One with a smile and the caption was collecting HR data. And the other one was a worried look at a caption that said when it's time to analyze HR data. Right. So you talked about like the systems being needed to upgrade. But to me, that meme talks to also the 
maybe mindset as well as the skills needed in order for HR to make the most of the systems they're being given and the seat at the table that they're being provided. Right. And one of the interesting things is, right, so we tried bridging that gap. I think we said, okay, HR people have a lot to do. We have people partners, recruiters, they have a lot within their function. We need to do analytics. So people analytics teams were formed, right? And it was like, we can't also rely on the central analytics team as much because they're not dedicated to HR because, and maybe sensitive data, but also not dedicated to HR because maybe HR isn't as interesting for their organization as it should be. And so we created this people analytics function. But I think there's a fault in what happened when we did that. We still gated the tools. So people analytics teams have all the cool tools. They have all the interesting things. They have the VI builders. They have the analytics and they have the expertise. And when you look at the folks in HR, people partners, like I mentioned before, they're still relegated to using the HIS and the ATS and all of the archaic platforms that have existed forever. And then they have to go and request analytics from the people analyzing. There's still this great, like this, this chasm in this dichotomy. And like, and I don't think like you, we've actually solved this problem yet. So I think people analyzing might have actually made it a little bit worse because it made it think like we solved the challenge of giving HR the tools that they need. When in reality, these days, you could have no-code tools. Like you can have tools that, you know, business users can use to analyze data and on their own analyze data and not just be handed a dashboard that says, this is what you should look at, right? So I think we have a lot to do. Do you think it's important beyond just giving access to empowering people partners and HR leaders with the tools, but also do you think that they bring additional context that's important to actually extrapolating what the data and the analytics actually mean yeah. for the business? I, I want to put you on the spot for a second and flip the question back Again. to you. But I'm, <laughs> I'm actually curious, right? You're, you know, head of HR, right? In your organization. <laughs> do you feel, let's say I brought in a data scientist from marketing. And I said, all right, data scientists from marketing, go help Lindsay with their, their work. Who knows data better? One's a data scientist in marketing mm -hmm. and you're the head of people. Like who knows the data for your people organization better and would be better equipped to actually tell the story appropriately? See, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that the HR practitioner. That would be like the straightforward. I kind of like, you know, forced you yeah. into an answer. I opened it like that. But yeah, I mean, like, no, I, it's true. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's like the HR practitioners are the ones that actually know the data better. But now you need to go to this other person, this data scientist who came from a different function. And now mm -hmm. you need to tell them how to do your role. And even when you then have the people analytics team who's theoretically embedded with HR, within HR, and they have more. They've never been people partners. I was ahead of people analytics at WeWork. I was, I've never been a people partner. You know, I've never gone through a promotion cycle, comp cycle, and all these other things. I've never done this. So now you're expecting me to be able to tell you what you need to see when in reality, you should be telling me what you need to see. But there invites the massive bottleneck is now you need to come to me with every single requirement and I need to like build that in, into my process flow. So then people analytics mm -hmm. become massive. But in reality, like most of the requirements and everything end up like what I said before, like just not being delivered in real time. I'm going to keep going back to that. But basically what, that's what it is. It's like HR people are the best people to be able to tell their story. The solution isn't to create a team to support them who is separate and knows the analytics, the solution is just give you the tools that you need to be able to do the analysis yourself. And that doesn't require you to like really take a ton of time away from your core job. So I'm going to 
ask you a follow-up to that because so if we're shifting our mindset to okay we're going to empower the people partners and the chros and the cpos with the tools so that they don't have to rely on another team to give them the analytics do you still see skill gaps that we need to be mindful of that in order for the, the people partners the hr leaders to effectively like implement a people analytics practice well, so 100%, I think when it happens and we have regularly rolled out our platform to people partners, people operations, talent operations, people who have not ever been exposed to data or doing their own data analysis in the past. And they're super excited to be able to use and suddenly they have access to this platform that they can like actually manipulate and change the data. And it's like really, really cool for them to be able to do it. But I think they end up coming to us saying like the data is wrong the data is inaccurate when in reality, like they've missed filters, they've missed like understanding of how mm. things are actually calculated. I mean, when you're transitioning from where people in HR are typically used to like Excel files and Google Sheets, which essentially is like very close. So it's like a very, like whatever you input in the Excel file is what you see on the next tab. Like it's very easy to like, and then you can manipulate it also. You can delete, row, edit, and change. So you essentially have like ultimate control as opposed to here, you're relinquishing a bit of control because the data pipelines and processing is done by us, by a different party. And so I think there's a relinquishing of control, so that's an understanding. There's an understanding of what goes into the actual data and analysis, and then there's the yeah. actual manipulation of data that is definitely necessary to like basically up-level and up still. But it, it comes from practice, right? Data sciences wasn't even a function that existed, right? Like it wasn't even like a, a real yeah. job like two years ago or three years ago or something like that. So, mm. and then, you know, and also, so you have data scientists, right, who can code, but then becoming data literate and understanding how to actually analyze data, you don't need to know how to code. You just need to know how to be like a critical thought. And so that's mm. essentially where the upscaling needs to happen. And that just takes practice. Uh, it just takes tons of tons of tons of practice. That makes a lot of sense because we often refer to it as a people analytics practice. Sometimes it's referred to as a function, but I, I personally like to refer to it as a practice. And to your point, it just reiterates that it's constant iterations and it's constant improvements in just our own skills, our own ways of in, interpreting and our own ways of using that data in a way to make decisions. I want to ask, so your platform, like you said, it's about making it easy to share workforce data across your organization. It's about empowering people practitioners to take back, I guess, control of, of the data and be able to use it and increase productivity and, and create fair decisions. There's also a lot of pressure nowadays on organizations to sort of pull back the curtain and be more transparent with how they operate and how they make decisions. So both with your platform, as well as just evolving our practices, how do you think organizations can effectively respond to this sort of increasing pressure that their people are asking for transparency? It's an interesting question because I think I'm definitely in favor of sharing more across organizations, right? We should know what our headcount is. We should know the diversity of our headcount. We should know attrition and we should know hiring and all these various metrics. But having seen how quickly interpretations occur with people, they, so Here's the thing is, right, I don't know sales, let's say, let's just think, or I don't know marketing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the different metrics that go into marketing. So if someone showed me marketing metrics, I would say, okay, these look nice, right? And someone said, <laughs> uh, 
like, yeah, exactly. Would say, I, would, I would say, I don't really know what you're talking about, but this looks great and I would trust whatever your opinion is. The thing is, we know what headcount means and we know what attrition means. Everyone knows. Everyone knows what promotions. It's people. So we feel, I've always said this, like people always feel like there are people experts, right? We all say we understand what people are feeling, what people are thinking. And we understand like when we look at someone, whether or not we're going to like them within like the first 30 seconds or whatever that whole like blink analysis is and like all these things. So because we're basically people experts, when we see people data, we run amok with an interpretation the second we see it. And so that's the gap. That, that's one of the issues where I feel like, yes, I feel like we should be sharing all this data, but I've seen where it can go awry in organizations where you can share, you share headcount, you share attrition data, you share diversity data, and you share all the things you're doing to net, let's say, improve your diversity, but quickly can spiral out of control with people's interpretation. And then you can really impact employee experience negatively if it's not delivered correctly. So I do believe as an organization is maturing, there needs to be, and, and we work with our companies to do this, there essentially needs to be like a rollout plan, right? Who do you deliver to first? Right. And that's often the people team, right? The people team are the ones that deal with this. They should be the first ones that are informed of like how the organization is doing. And then the C-suite after needs to be completely aware and made aware of like how the organization is doing. Everyone who you've shown it to are business leaders who now need to actually start taking action prior to being shared with the rest of the team. So let's say I, I share with the rest of the team and I show our you know diversity by gender is like really, really, really bad. You need to understand that prior to sharing with the rest of, our, of your company so that you can already be putting things into place that says how you're planning to improve. And so oh. I do believe that ultimately everyone should be armed with data. Everyone should be armed with people data. Managers, how can we expect hiring managers to change the diversity of the team if they don't even know the applicant pool that they're getting or they don't even know like what they've done in the past and whether or not they're actually unequal when they're hiring. They will, they'll never know because you can't just like, you don't think about it day to day. Like you need data, you need someone to have the conversations with you, which is essentially arming the, pe the people partners who have those conversations already with the appropriate data. So 100%, I'm all for sharing data across the organization. It just needs to be done in essentially like a rollout type of uh, experience with plans to improve or sort of explain the data to the people who think they are the people experts, but in reality, they're not. That's really interesting. I've never thought of it like that, that everyone thinks that they're a people expert. And you've definitely transformed my mind on that because it's very true. What you just highlighted too, though, is I think there's often a message that, again, with quote unquote HR leaders getting now a seat at the table, needing to speak in the language of business. But it's also what you highlighted there to me is that we're transforming the role of HR by enabling them with people analytics in that we don't have to spend the time trying to convince managers, the C-suite, that there are potentially issues. So for example, that our diversity by gender is way swinging way one direction or the other. Instead, we let the number speak for itself and we now transform our role into now being the partners for developing the messaging, the solutions, and the so delivering on the so what exactly. as opposed to that this is what it is. It's so what are we going to do about it? Exactly. I think we spent too much of our time in HR basically focusing on like how we're delivering the data or like what we're using in Excel files and dashboards and all these things. Mm -hmm. And like, imagine if you're the CEO and whatever reports you've delivered from HR, like you think they're super, in, like you might in the HR position think they're super innovative, but then spin around and be in the CEO's position. They're getting reports from Salesforce, which are like clean dashboards and like up-to-date analytics on their sales analytics. Like they're 
they're using all the updated like sales and marketing and all these other like an analytical tools. And then when they go and ask the HR person, I'm not trying to blame HR for all this, but they, then they go to the HR person, mm -hmm. HR is like, well, if you want headcount, you can go into our HRAS. But I guess if you want to know how many people we're hiring, you can go into our ATS. Oh, but I did actually join everything together in Google Sheets or some BI dashboard or something like that, where you can like log in or I'll send you the file. You know, like we sound like we don't know what we're doing. When in reality we do, we're just not giving the appropriate tools to be actually deliver the best in class. Mm -hmm. And so it's a change that we need to make for ourselves so that other people essentially see it differently. And then we can get mm -hmm. into the what or like how to solve it. And we can stop just like fixating on like making pie charts, like I said before. <laughs> So that sounds like that's one effective strategy for when you're, if you're in an organization and you're making the case to invest in whether it's equitable as a tool or any other tool or system or training that's going to help you better deliver on the analytics. It sounds like one effective strategy is to say, hey, we can spend more time actually problem solving and figuring out the so what, as opposed to figuring out how to try to deliver this. What's have you found in your time working with organizations any other strategies that are effective for building the case for why they should invest in in people analytics tools? So there are a few, I think, strategies. It, it's funny when we first actually started selling Equitable, we thought that we were convincing people that people analytics is necessary. And so we thought we actually had a really massive like uphill battle. We had to like say, okay, this is why you should do people analytics. This is how it can improve the employee experience. What we quickly learned was people don't need convincing on that. If you look at the typical organization, first off, massive organizations, they have HR teams, HR analytics teams. They basically are pulling this data on the regular. And then you look at smaller organizations, they start naturally C-suite starts asking for these things. They want to know attrition. They want to know headcount. They want to know all these things. What in reality, our job, is to do is to essentially say, yes, you can pull this data. Let's say you have like 40 hours a week to pull data for HR. What you typically do is you spend 40 hours pulling that data and you figure out what your headcount is and you figure out what your attrition is and your promotion rate. Imagine if you can do all that in one hour or 30 seconds. Now you have so much more time to be innovative, to think about, well, finally, maybe we can get to that question of quality of hire. And so what we started doing for a lot of our customers is like interviewer effectiveness and like actually seeing whether or not the people who interview the most in the company are actually effective at hiring. And you can start looking at like, do you promote people internally more than you hire externally? So essentially connecting all these like components back to you. So you're going to start looking at more deeper questions into your organization if you get all the easy stuff out of the way and you get that out. Right. That's essentially the pitch is like, we know you're already looking at this. You're just looking at this in a really cumbersome Excel-driven way. And you're not really looking at it in a real, you know, automated fashion. And then the, on top of that, like, obviously, you're not looking at that in a nice presentation ready to go type of format. Instead, you're taking screenshots, dumping those into PowerPoints. And again, we talked about it at the beginning, but massive productivity. It's funny because I often, like, argue with people and I say, like, no, Every organization does HR analytics, call it people analytics, call it whatever, everyone does it. And so we're not actually convincing people that it's important to track your time to hire. They know it's important. Every yeah. talent acquisition leader knows it's important to track your time to hire. That's money, that's dollars. Mm -hmm. The faster you hire, the better in theory, but it's a balance, right? So if yeah. you can track your time to hire and you can understand the dollars, now we can ask, well, 
we lowered our time to hire by 10 days, but we hired 60% more men. Let me think about that, right? Does lowering my yeah. time to hire and making my hire faster actually, you know, increase or decrease my equity in my company? And so that's, those are the questions we can start to ask if we could get all the easy analytics out of the way. And so once I start yeah. telling, like we get on a call and we tell people like all the stuff you can really do once you get the easy stuff out of the way, that's when they really start to get sold. And that's when mm. in an organization, they're like, wow, like we could do all this stuff with all the HR data that we've been collecting for years. I think when the real power and understanding what people analytics really is comes into play. Do you think there's any size of organization that's too small to start doing people analytics or to start doing HR analytics? So no, my company is six people. So yes, I guess in theory, it's a small organization. Yeah. However, I do believe that every organization thinks about it in a certain way, right? So even if you're 50 people, mm-hmm. 100 employees, when it starts to get, so you're doing, so so let's say you can analyze your data effectively within your HR and your ATS, uh, HRIS, ATS, uh, essentially if your organization is small enough and you can get the understanding and the data from that, I would say it's typically around like 50 to 100 employees when people start to like max out those systems and then they start to pull it into Excel mm. and their C-suites asking for like something else. The second you start to see that happen, that's when you should be starting to look for something that scales. And the good thing is these days, it used to be when you would look for a tool, it would break the bank. And so like you would look at a tool and you would say like, all right, I'm 100 employees and I need to buy this platform that's $50,000. My HR budget is only 25,000. That doesn't make sense. But I think nowadays, I think because of the tools that are out there that are so innovative, I think that they scale with an organization. So if you're 100 employees, you can essentially invest in a tool that will tell you the data you need to and it'll make your life that much easier. So I think like I would start, you know, as equitable grows and as our company grows and what I've seen in the past, like I'm already going to start looking at it at like 30 to 50 employees, probably start thinking about implementing something around like 50 to 100 employees. And that's what we typically see. Yeah, that's really great because I think sometimes the, the mentality can be that, you know, oh, we're too small or we're it's too early. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're saying is that it's never too early to start laying a solid foundation for right. a system that's going to scale with you as you grow so that you don't have to spend so much time then going back and trying to make up for lost time, essentially. Right. And I think that like a hundred person company is still worried about attrition. There's, you're still focused on hiring. And like if you're C-suite saying like, well, no, we're really like hyper-focused on sales. Well, like to do those sales, you need to hire appropriately, right? And you need to hire. And they say, well, we're only hiring like 20 people a year. Okay, fine. But if you can somehow figure out just hiring those 20 people, first off, you might just hire... 20 new people, but you might also have to backfill and understand your attrition and why people are leaving your organization already. And so you can just set yourself up for success as you grow. Now, if you think you're only going to be 100 people indefinitely, maybe not. But if you think you're going to be 100 people today and 200 people next year and like you're going to grow and grow and grow, then you're laying the foundation, an analytics foundation as well. If I was an HR person in like a 100, 150 person organization, I would be like teaching people this stuff because I would be looking like a whiz kid, right? I would essentially be saying like, all right, I could do all these analytics. And then you'd be like, they might be like, oh, it's too early. It's too early, but fine. I'll at least set the stage appropriately for like as we're growing. At least start to think about it. So this brings me to one of the questions that I'm very excited to dive into with you, which I prefaced before we started recording today, which is that AI and the rise of specifically open source AI tools, there's a lot of excitement as well as fear about it of 
specifically what it means for the future of work. What do you think some of the core applications of AI will be that will transform organizational operations, but then also specifically HR operations? I think it's a great question. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of conversation around equity within AI, within HR, making sure, right? Obviously, we're so quick to forget that we've had AI for a very long time, and it's been able to basically analyze candidate information and tell us, like, who's the best candidate and who's not. And we obviously had mistakes made in the past, the famous case being Amazon, who ended up just overhiring white men, right, into engineering. Right. And so, like, we're still in that same situation where we need to be cognizant and need to put checks and balances into place and understand, like, that, what AI is actually spitting out and telling us we can't just let it run the world. That being said, I see, like, obviously, like, with the generative AI push, like, massive productivity, an increase in productivity, a lot of like job description writing, we can finally like maybe actually come up with like pretty comprehensive templates and like take a lot of that like noise within HR off of our plate, maybe even give it a structure and be able to like write performance reviews for people, obviously like with checks and balances in place. I do believe also there's a big push within analytics with AI and analytics. And I think it's gonna, especially within our app, it's gonna essentially increase the discoverability opportunity when it comes to analytics. Mm. So those pieces of, you know, cool analytics that I mentioned before, like interview effectiveness, quality of hire, internal, mm. external hire uh, versus like internal promotions versus external hire. Those aren't things that the average HR person might know right off the bat. And for a tool to do all of that discoverability and like also be a great tool to build with, it's a bit challenging. So I think AI is going to help there where it's essentially going to enable and be a crutch or a support to build stories and build analyses. So I think like that's one of the biggest plays is like, let's say you're going to go into our app and you're going to type in, you know, a prompt and it's going to be able to like build a story for or with you rather than for you. And then obviously analyze the data appropriately, build charts and stuff like that. So essentially it's going to make us that much faster. We need to do it, right? With NHR, we need to do it because it yeah. like other teams within the company are doing it. Sales, marketing, everyone's doing it. You know, engineering is doing it. And so we just need to keep up, understand that it's not going to take away our jobs. I hate that saying. Like, yeah. I was going to take away jobs. It's not. You know, yeah. It's like the industrial revolution. It's going to change jobs. And we're going to need to evolve mm -hmm. like we always have. So I think that's the next frontier that we're all tackling. Yeah, I love your explanation of that. Do you think that there's anything specifically HR leaders need to start thinking about in order to be prepared for this expansion of use of AI within their organizations? You just said every other team is doing this and, yeah. you know, sales and marketing and engineering. And it's not necessarily going to take away our jobs, but it's going to evolve them. So being the practitioners, the leaders that are really at the core of jobs and, and the way of working internally, and as you've said, the employee experience, what do we need to start thinking about as AI is expanding its foothold within our organization? Yeah, AI for the sake of AI doesn't interest me. And I don't think it really should enter the mm -hmm. people on HR. I think when we have use cases for it, I think it's super cool. Mm -hmm. Listen, I mean, if it's super helpful to write job descriptions, great. But if your company is able to write their own job descriptions, then you don't need AI for that, right? Don't buy a tool and don't have like, a, you know, a, now we're going to have tool fatigue and AI and everything going to be super mm -hmm. impressed. And so like, if we need AI or we think it's going to be super helpful to like filter candidates, filter applicants within our ATS, then great, let's use it for that. So I think let's understand the use cases first where we mm -hmm. might need it and then look to see what's there and then apply it as opposed to where I think like 
some other industries are basically like you see a ton of VC funding going into AI right now. And it's like, we're just an AI mm. company. What do you do? We're just an AI company. Okay, here's 130 million. <laughs> you know, so it's like, it doesn't really make sense because AI for AI, the sake of AI rather. And I think mm-hmm. understanding the use case is most important, especially given like our track record within HR. It's like, I can imagine a world where I say, tell my CEO, hey, I'm introducing this super cool new AI platform to be able to like, you know, cut applicants by this and that. And I'm, you know, write job descriptions, all this cool stuff. And them going back to me and saying like, I asked for diversity headcount, like a, a headcount cut by right. <laughs> and you never delivered it to me. And it's me like, oh shoot, like I'm not doing my core. So understand what the business needs, what we need as HR, and then it's mm-hmm. <laughs> the way I would do it. Yeah. So just going back to that core, core focus of we need to, we are the experts of our context. So understand that context before we just jump on a trend or jump on a tool, but really understand and be able to vocalize why it's important given our organization. Exactly. That's why it feels like this is the most appropriate thing to remember. This AI rush is that we're just mm-hmm. super excited about all the innovations that can occur with AI. And you know, there's a lot of noise as is will be expected around it. But I just think if we take a step back, understand what we need it for, and like no one's gonna suddenly become come be, create an AI tool that's gonna replace all of HR, right? So let's just like calm right. down, understand what we need it for, build it into our workflows, help it enable us to do our job. Also, don't be afraid, right? I think one of the things with HR yeah. is like we're afraid to like adopt new technologies because we're scared it's gonna like do away with our roles, especially like the mm-hmm. general, like the people op generalists, like talent ops, or all these other you know yeah. analyst roles. But just don't be scared. Adopt it appropriately is essentially the way I would approach this this challenge. That helps too when we then think about supporting, partnering with, consulting with our the leaders of the other areas of the organization. We can take that same mindset for if they're thinking of implementing some sort of AI tool and understanding, okay, how is this going to, whether it's changed the shape of your team, shift responsibilities from roles, again, not taking over roles, but just really understanding what is the use case on your team and how is that going to change or transform the operations of it and therefore the the roles of the people on that team. Continue to innovate. It's like the theme, right? We just need to continue. We can't stop at like, you know, all these HRISs who, who and you always see this theme, right? We we say we're going to innovate. We say we're going to like change. And, and then an HRIS, one of our favorite ones, you know, that, that comes out with like a new platform and we're like, all right, let's 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 dump the engagement platform we used to use let's dump the performance management platform that we used to use and bring it into our core hris because it's well i love to have everything centralized in one place but like centralization doesn't always lead to innovation right because we end up using the clunky tool that's not best in class people end up spinning in as like a tool fatigue for for the company and hr because we have all these like but that's not what it is it's just that we don't have like a purpose and use case in mind and understanding we're not creating like a cohesive front of like, yeah, fine, use this performance manual. Here's the engagement tool. The HRIS is just for this, right? It's just for this. Let's not throw everything into it and treat it yeah. as if it's like needs to be like the ruler of our world. So that's, yeah, there's, there's all the good stuff in there. Well, like you said at the beginning, the purpose of your tool is to create that single source of truth. And for a long time, the HRIS has been seen as that single source of truth, but jack of all trades, master of none. So we can have these specialized tools. It's just a matter of then creating that single source of truth that we can really rely on. Exactly. 
We are going to go into our lightning round now. So I have three questions for you. You are going to respond with either a word or a sentence, whatever comes to mind initially for you. If you want to dive into one, we can definitely do that uh, if you have more thoughts on it. But core of it is lightning round. So whatever pops into your mind first uh, should be what you say. So the first one is, what is the number one thing that you think HR leaders need to transform their thinking? Analytics. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense, given everything we've chatted about. So number two, what is the most impactful piece of feedback that you've ever received? The most impactful was like really early on in my career was that I wasn't vocal enough about my thoughts and ideas. And I think that changed. And I don't think it necessarily told me, hey, you need to be loud at work. I think it was you need to know a time and place and be creative and how you actually approach who you're talking to and understand that person first. So listen, 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 then talk, but don't forget that talk part, right? Listen, 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 listen. And if you don't talk at that end, then no one's ever gonna understand your opinion and no one's ever gonna necessarily implement your ideas and you're never gonna get anywhere in life. So don't forget the talk. That is such a good one. And I like that you highlighted you don't have to be the loudest person in the room, no. but you do just have to remember to talk. Yes. Such a good piece of feedback. Okay, last one. How much of your journey is made up of failures and how much of your journey is made up of successes? I fail 99% of the time and <laughs> I see success as a journey. I don't see success as, as a one-off, right? So even mm -hmm. being able to start Equitable, if I look at the moment mm -hmm. when we actually raised our seed round and we actually started the company, we got our first customer, I see those as like successes, but I don't see them as mm -hmm. like the pinnacle and the, the finality of the actual right. success and even you know, when we, as we grow and we continue to add additional customers and, you know, eventually IPO and all that stuff, that's not the pinnacle. Yeah. Right? So success is a journey. And most of the time it's littered with failures, rejections, sales rejections, product rejections, mm -hmm. people wanting us to fail. So I think most of the time I see myself, as, but that's how you grow, right? If you think you're just succeeding at all the time, you're just going to like chill, sit back, play video games and like watch TV, right? <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm crushing it, but it's, you're constantly feeling like you have more to prove, you have more to build, you have more <laughs> success to be acquired, then you're going to continue to be hungry and build. That doesn't mean don't ce celebrate. That's why I was saying like, yeah, first customer, seed round, those were successes. Celebrate those, but then move on because that's not the finality. That's not the, that's not the final, right. you know, success. Great advice. We have all a mix of successes and failures. So it's good to celebrate the successes, but be humbled by the failures as well. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was so awesome to chat about this with you, about Equitable, about people analytics, about AI. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. This has been Transformations, the HR management podcast by Cardata. To find out more about Cardata's vehicle reimbursement software tailored for HR professionals, visit cardata.co and see how you could benefit from a fully managed reimbursement program.